My guest today is Fritz Streifer, human rights lawyer with eight years experience in international criminal law, human rights law and anti-corruption work. Fritz qualified as a lawyer in the Netherlands and his experience extends to corporate law, international NGOs, including the Open Society Foundations and international organizations. We will, I'm sure, hear more from Fritz about his own human rights careers journey. Fritz is currently working for clients in the area of atrocity crimes committed in Syria and separately anti-corruption investigations with links to the Netherlands and also on climate litigation. Fritz has a BA in Liberal Arts and Sciences from the University College Utrecht, an LLM in International Law of Human Rights and Criminal Justice, also from Utrecht University, and an LLB from Utrecht. Fritz, welcome to The Passion Factor, pursuing a career in human rights. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you very much, Vicky. It's great to be here. So the first question I ask all my, my guests is, is really where did it all start for you? What motivated you to work in the human rights field? I think there's a really long answer to this, and, and I'm not going to uh, go into that. Um, so I'm going to try to make it a, sh a shorter one. I think for me... Getting into the human rights field really was a journey. Um, if you had asked me at age 20 if I could have imagined myself as a human rights lawyer um, at 36, uh, which is um, my current age, then it, that would have been that would have been a very that would have been a far away thought for me at age 20. Um, but I do think that from an early age I had um, sort of the the, the, the basic sort of social interests that I think one needs to be interested in the human rights field. And when I say that, I mean that I think from an early age, I was, I was taught to, you know, um, be conscious about social issues. Um, I think my mother was very active in, in teaching um, my siblings and, and myself empathy. And, um, and then came the sort of international aspect to it um, during my teenage years when I started traveling. And during a year in the United States, um, when I was 15, 16, um, we spent a few weeks in a social project in Brazil. And that's when I really first saw the very, um, the very strong differences that can exist in our international society um, and, and saw how, you know, there's a lot of people um, that have, um, very little and there's a few very powerful that have a lot um i remember driving this highway outside of sao paulo where that became very apparent for me for the first time that's one of those moments one of those photographic moments when i when i was first really conscious of um of of that social uh of that you know general social issue so long story uh, short i could i could continue and continue like this um when i when i when i started studying and I and I chose liberal arts and sciences. I was really more interested in sort of the, the cultural and the social aspects of of, of all of this. Started studying cult cultural anthropology and international relations, and I did take a course in in, in international human rights. Um, but only really after college, I when I started internships, uh, when I started doing internships, um, I uh, thought to myself that doing human rights law. Um, it would be would be something I would want to do, and that was because I was doing internships more sort of in the political uh, sphere, 
um, advocacy um, area. I was doing a, an internship with Human Rights Watch in Berlin, doing sort of press work and stuff like that. Um, and almost by accident, I got an internship with the Rwanda Tribunal in, in Arusha, in Tanzania, that, um, that was looking um, into the uh, genocide that happened in Rwanda in 1994. And that's when I saw how lawyers were, were using the law as a concrete tool to, to, um, to achieve results. And, and that's when I decided that I, I wanted to become a human rights lawyer. Um, and and uh, when I really concretely started developing an interest in international criminal law, and I went back to university to, to study law, um, got a degree in, in, in Dutch and international law, and then international human rights law and criminal justice. And um, that's, that's how I sort of made that turn to to human rights law that's that, that's great and, and you know it's like me as well i think you know you have a, a pivotal moment um and for you it was your your time in brazil um and for me it was working in a, in a prison with children of, of prisoners that that really sets us on our on our journey so it kind of brings me neatly on to sort of um the, my second question really is what what was the career journey like for you to to get to where you are now and the work that you are doing at the moment yeah so um when I went back to university to study law, I, I was very much into international criminal justice and I still am. Um, I interned with the Yugoslavia Tribunal in The Hague where I um, worked with a defense team while before I had worked with a prosecution team at the Rwanda Tribunal. So I sort of s saw the two sides, um, the two opposing sides in the courtroom um, from the inside, which was very interesting. Um, uh, I worked for the, for the defense team for Radovan Karadzic which was uh, uh, legally very interesting. Morally, um, also, it was a challenge, and and I think it really taught me to see the the value of of a good defense, um, and 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 you know the value of sort of a you know the very core human right to to um, to defend yourself in a court of law. That was definitely one of one of those other moments I think that that really shaped my early my early sort of um, human rights law experience. Um, after law school. I interned with the United Nations Development Program in Myanmar in the rule of law section, um, which was a really, really great experience. But what I, and I, I would have loved to stay, to stay there and just, and just keep doing that kind of work. But I, 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 had, I had an idea, a very concrete idea that I wanted to qualify as a lawyer. And in the Netherlands, where, where I went to law school, um, that means that you have to, you know, enter into a trajectory that, that um, that uh, allows you to be admitted to the bar and practice as a lawyer. That was my goal, and um, that I did at a, a larger uh, corporate uh, law firm uh, where I stayed for three years, a bit more than three years. Um, and that's where I got my training, and that's where I followed in parallel the courses um, that the the Dutch Bar Association um, makes you go through in order to fully qualify as a lawyer. That's where I sort of, you know, as I say, learned the robes um, and appeared in court for the first time and, and started working with clients directly. Um, and that was a really, really great experience, uh, including one year in a very new world for me, which was corporate, very corporate law, uh, mergers and acquisitions, <laughs> private equity um, deals. Uh, but what, what I really, I think what I really took away from, from that year was um, project legal project management very large very uh, complex uh, uh, projects that that needed to be managed 
um, and working with contracts and 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 really um, you know developing that eye for detail that that um, that lawyers are, are trained to 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 have. Um, so so I think looking back, it was it was it was a challenge for sure, and and uh, I I never. Uh, wanted to to stay in that specific area of the law, but it was it was definitely a good learning experience. Um, and then the rest of the time um, at that firm, I, I spent with uh, with a litigation team um, that uh, that worked with sort of compliance uh, questions um, and and also white collar defense and internal investigations, which um, which I found was very interesting and um, kind of similar, in fact, to international criminal law, where you deal with with very large and complex crimes um, and, and large structures that, that are behind those crimes. Um, and then uh, after I qualified as a, as a lawyer in Amsterdam, um, I uh, made the switch back to the public interest uh, law field, um, spent uh, a bit, about half a year with Transparency International working on anti-corruption and uh, anti-money laundering um, issues before I joined the Open Society Justice Initiative in, in New York, which is, which is part of the, of the Open Society Foundations, um, where I was a litigation fellow with, uh, with a team that, that focuses on, on human rights litigation uh, there. Um, and then I spent another year with them in London from their London office um, before I moved to Paris at the beginning of this year, um, where I, for the first time, started, uh, started out really as, a, as an independent legal advisor uh, doing projects um, in, in in various uh, fields that you um, that you mentioned at the beginning of our of our conversation, and um, so that's that's a that's a really interesting new um, uh, way to to work for me as well to to work independently as a legal advisor, um, and it's given me some some freedom to pick and choose my own uh, my own projects. Started a podcast on the side. Um, which uh, which I'm happy to talk about more later, and that's I think that's how I got to where I am now. That's really interesting, and and I think you know all human rights professionals have a very kind of non-linear sometimes path to to where they get to. Yeah, um, and I think every experience gives you something. So even as you say that corporate experience maybe was not where your heart lay, but those skills that you picked up, you can certainly they're, they're transferable, and you can take them into to the human rights world, the international criminal law so, yeah. world. I think they're yeah. very very transferable and it kind of brings me on to sort of looking at, at how this the, this podcast is for for students and young professionals looking to work and break into the sector um, and something that is is really on the minds of many young professionals is whether or not they need to go and get an advanced degree and um, a master's in international rights law or public international law um, you you have that I have that what's your view about that um, do people wanting to break into the sector need, need that? And if so, what about the timing? When is the, the right time to, to do that? Mm. I, think, I, think, I think firstly, it depends on what you want to do specifically. Do you want to, uh, do you want to break into the sector um, more from a sort of academic perspective or more from an activism or advocacy perspective? Or do you want to actually uh, go into human rights litigation um, for which you would, I, I suppose, you know, qualify as an attorney, as a lawyer, um, depending on on your jurisdiction and 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 what your previous studies uh, were like. In my case, for example, 
I needed the 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 LLM, the legal masters, uh, was was part of, of of what you need to in order to be able to qualify as as an uh, as an attorney in the Netherlands. So for me, that was that was literally a, a building block um, uh, to 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 be able to get that qualification. That's one way of doing it, and one way of you know I think very very concretely uh, doing it and needing it. Um, so if that's if that's your if that's your goal if that's your if that's your wish to 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 go that direction I think um, you know you you don't really have a choice. Um, if if that's not really where you want to go, I think it can still be um, uh, good in a in a number of ways. Um, if you really have, for example, one specific topic that you want to study um, within within your master's uh, program, and that master's program has uh, you know that on offer. Um, I think it's good to find a specific topic, like a niche where you can, um, that you can focus on and, and that you can also you know, show later to, um, to, to colleagues and to, to uh, prospective employers um, that that's what you've developed a specific expertise in. And then I think another way that uh, LLMs can be very helpful is um, the network both on the fellow student uh, side. Um, if you're interested in, in international human rights law, it's great to, to get to know other practitioners, um, including from, from different countries and different jurisdictions and different legal mindsets. And also on the practitioner side. So for example, during my legal masters, we were taught by people from the academic field and from, by people from the practical field. Um, including during evening evening sessions, uh, people came over from The Hague um, who work at international tribunals and 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 gave us sessions in in practical skills. Um, and that way, I think you get to have access to the exact field that you find interesting, including internship opportunities. Um, so that's another way I think that an LLM can be very helpful if if it does have that practical uh, offer to it. Um, I think it's just really important for whoever's interested or, or doubting or wondering whether an LLM is is necessary or 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 might add or might, might be might be helpful. I think it would be really um, important to just uh, to just find out how it actually um, you know what the um, curriculum is and 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 wh why that curriculum uh, could be could be helpful for for whatever your plan is. Definitely. I think that there's a little bit of due diligence that should be done before undertaking a master because of, there's not only the, the time, but also the cost involved in undertaking these programs. So, so talking to sort of alumni who've done the course quite recently to find out the teaching, the quality of the teaching, but also where it's taken them in terms of yeah, their exactly. career, I think is, there's a lot of value in that. Um, mm -hmm. The students that um, I'm, I support and advise, that's, that's how I sort of advise them. Mm -hmm. kind of you know we've got one side the sort of academic side but what, what other sort of skills and qualities do you think you need to work in the human rights field um that's quite a broad open question but i'm asking everybody this because i think there's lots of different things i think we already talked about i mean networking i think is is generally helpful um i know great human rights lawyers that are really bad networkers too so it's i don't think that's i don't think that's some sort of prerequisite or something to 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 make it in the field, um, but of course it, it you know it does help um, in in mm -hmm. in various ways. Um, 
I think, I think especially if you want to break into the field, I was going to say at a later stage, but I think it, I think, in fact, I think it, it also applies to, to people that are just, um, that are just starting out. um, And, and with this in mind as a, as a, as a, as a career, I think what works is to, develop something that makes you stand out. And, and, and that could be a master's, for example, like we just uh, talked about and really focusing on an issue within your master's that, that, makes you, that makes you stand out and you can refer to in, in discussions with, um, with prospective employers. But it can also be something completely different, like a language. Um, I think in the human rights field, developing a few languages to a level that you can really work in gives you a huge advantage over, uh, I think, a majority of other uh, people in the field. And it always sort of depends, right, also on, on your regional interests, but clearly French is, is, good, is good to have, Spanish as well. But I think we definitely need to think about Arabic more. Um, Russian and Chinese um, are underrepresented. Um, so that will definitely make you stand out um, a language or, you know, or any other skill, like another degree that, that doesn't directly have uh, something to do with, with, with human rights law. So I think there's a, there's a, there's a bunch of things that you can, you can do to, to show that you, that you, um, that you take initiative also outside of uh, what's, what's usually expected um, in, in, you know, in wanting to become a human rights lawyer or activist. Yeah, I definitely am with you on, on the languages front. I think it opens up a huge number of doors for you if you can work competently um, in, in more than your mother tongue language because um, it, it just gives you, gives you that access that you ordinarily wouldn't have. So again, telling people to brush up on their languages, but to a, a really kind of good advanced level, I think really yeah. is important. Um, and, and sort of you're talking there about standing out from the crowd and, and that sort of makes me think about sort of CVs and resumes and, and what sort of young professionals and students can can do on their CV in, a, in an honest way, obviously, to, mm-hmm. to make them stand out. So I don't know if you've been on the other side of the coin sort of recruiting for people um, at the early stages, but what do you think um, helps on, on the CV in terms of a human, quote unquote, human rights CV or such a thing? Mm-hmm. On the CV, I think if you have done something that that makes you stand out from the crowd. If you do have those languages, if you have done something, and you know, if you have if you have another qualification that that makes you that makes you interesting, or that makes a reader go like, "Huh, that's interesting." When reading, you know, ten, twenty uh, CVs um, at the same time, I think that's what you want to stress. Um, you know, not necessarily by <laughs> using a, bo- a bold font. But um, you, you want to make sure that that's definitely in there, and and um, and and make sure that that's uh, yeah maybe does get a sort of um, prominent spot. I think c- CVs there's only so much you can do. They should just be well structured and make sure that you 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 present um, uh, yourself well and, and your qualifications. I think the more important uh, element is always the cover letter um, yeah. when you apply. You know, and 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 there if there's one thing that is just i think majorly important is is that you need to write your cover letters one at a time and every time new there's many people including myself that have sinned by uh 
copying texts from previous cover letters for an, yet another application. Don't do that. It doesn't work. <laughs> people look through it. Um, people read through it. And more than that, that's, that's not even the more, most important thing. I think the most important thing is, is if you just work on a, from a blank page, you come across uh, with, as, you know, with, with a real interest that you should have when you apply to, to a position. Um, and, and I think that's, I think that's majorly important to, to make sure that with every application you, uh, and, and you, you know, you, you, you do, um, you do, uh, make sure that it is, it is geared to exactly that job and that, and that, and that employer's, uh, uh, profile. Mm -hmm. Um, and having said that just, just about the CV, right. Even the CV, uh, should be tweaked for every application and every employer because, um, you know, uh, different organizations look for look for different skills. Yeah, absolutely. I think we've all been guilty of, of the copy and paste kind of technique with the cover letter. And, and, and no, it right. doesn't work. You, you've got to really finesse it and, and look at it as against that particular job and, and what they're looking for. Yeah. Um, and the final sort of sort of question I have in this little sort of segment is around, and you mentioned it a little bit earlier on, about networking and the importance and value of networking. And we know that many sectors, it really is important, I think, equally in, in the human rights sector. So I suppose my question is twofold to you in terms of how has it helped you in your career um, and any advice that you can impart for those who are listening for whom it might not be or it might be counterintuitive to, to kind of network and, and uncomfortable, but I think we have yeah. to kind of brave and do it nonetheless. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, um, uh, this is not going to be good news for, for those that feel uncomfortable doing it, but, but there's one, I think there's one universal truth and that is you, you, you need to ask uh, for it. You know, you need to ask for it. You need to approach. You need to get out of your comfort zone. That's, mm -hmm. without, uh, without getting out of your comfort zone, it's going to be hard. Um, and it's something you can train. It's something you can, you can practice. Um, the first 5, 10, 15 times, it may, may be uh, more you know, uncomfortable than, 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 than after. Um, and I think especially in our day and age and maybe even more so uh, during these days, during the, the COVID pandemic, I don't even want to, I don't even want to know how, how people network these days in, in order to get a, in order to get a job or in order to find interesting information for, for the next step, including, for example, a master's program, because I think face to face is, is so much more, uh, interesting and effective networking than um, via the internet. I think we tend to choose the easy and less uh, uncomfortable uh, way often, and that is just to go on, you know, LinkedIn or find an email address somewhere and 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 just email. But actually, looking someone in the eye and and making a good first impression in person. At a, at, a, at a conference or at a networking event um, or at a reading or a, at a lecture and, and going up there afterwards and to introduce yourself and, and, and uh, you know, um, in non-pandemic times, uh, go for that handshake, mm -hmm. um, I think is, um, is definitely uh, preferable over, uh, over digital networking. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we are hamstrung now because we're all sort of sitting behind our screens. But I think yeah. there's still a degree of networking that you can do and you can approach people initially by LinkedIn and then, you know, ask for quote unquote an informational chat. And, and on the whole, I think people have been open to, to conversations and, and chats and things. And, and, you know, not you're asking just for that at that stage. So 
But right. I take your point. It's not. It's not. It's not as good as actually being in person, sitting, having that coffee or something like that. Yeah, let's hope that that um, will come back uh, next so, year. Yeah. So, so moving on to sort of you know, actually the the day to day, and and I'm working in the human rights sector. Um, can you describe a typical day for you at the moment? It might not be a typical day, but sort of just so people get a flavour of, of what it's like actually on the on the day to day doing the work that you do. For me, it really depends um, right now on the project that I'm that I'm working on. So mm -hmm. at, at, at the at the very moment, I am doing a, a project three days a week with a, a Syrian group of human rights lawyers uh, here in Paris, where where I live and work as well. Um, so. You know, if if I if I work with them and if I go to their office, which I do, you know, uh, off and on um, now, but people also working from home, so it's it's really, again, I think during the pandemic, difficult to difficult to sort of uh, answer this question. But mm -hmm. when I do, um, uh, then I think largely it, we do tend to spend quite some time with the computer, um, whether that's because we are drafting a text or, or, um, or you know, even, uh, even uh, when it comes down to it, uh, a complaint or, or, or something, uh, something formal to an authority, um, or whether we're, you know, emailing and, and, uh, and, and communicating online, I think that just really takes a bulk of, of, of time um, also when I'm working from home and, and uh, working on my other projects. Uh, same goes for research and, and investigating. Um, a lot of the stuff that, that, that I do in that, in, in that area you know, takes place online and, 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 uh, or in front of a screen. Um, and then there's meetings, right? Uh, that also has moved largely to the screen this year, but, but, um, but normally, again, I think also um, me personally, prefer uh, meeting with people in person and and uh, and having face-to-face -face meetings to, to check in with with your colleagues that you're working on uh, projects with um, um, and uh, and then for and then I think in in my line of work what happens you know not very often but regularly is the interaction with um, you know with with people that you work with um, for information, whether that is, you know, sources um, uh, like journalists or, or colleagues from other organizations or, um, or, or people from, from, from that kind of area, um, or, the, or whether that is witnesses uh, or victims of, um, of a human rights violation that you're currently investigating um, or writing about um, or preparing um, a complaint about, those, um, those are moments for me that are very important and, and very precious. I think those, those are the moments that I, that I really um, enjoy uh, most and that I kind of need to, to balance the, the long hours at the, at the computer uh, uh, with, I think. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And if you think back over your kind of career to date in the span, well, what has been the highlight or maybe there's been a couple of highlights of your career to date that you can share with us? things come to mind right like when i when i first litigated a, a, a case in court um that was really exciting and 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 something that i really worked towards for a long time and and really really was very much uh, focused on and and my client was sitting next to me and the, the you know i was a uh, 
representing a, a, a fraud victim and uh, you know the accused was sitting just a few meters away from us and um, and uh, yeah that was that was that was exciting uh, as as a as a young as a young lawyer to be standing up in court in front of the judges um, or um, like I said earlier, working for the prosecution at the Rwanda Tribunal and for the defense at the Yugoslavia Tribunal, that sort of mix of, of experiences was definitely a, a highlight of my, of, my, of my education, I think. But I think most, most, recently, um, most recently, what, what's been um, important and, and, and to, agree, to a degree rewarding was um, the work that my colleagues and I have done on the use of chemical weapons as, you know, as an international crime in Syria, um, you know, pretty much exclusively used by, by the Syrian regime against its own people um, for years and years. Um, and uh, we've been looking into that for, 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 yeah, for, for, for a number of years now. And um, just a few weeks ago, uh, the organization that I used to uh, work for, Open Society Justice Initiative, and the Syrian group that I that I currently work with here in Paris, together with another Syrian group in in Berlin, filed uh, criminal complaints um, uh, based on two chemical weapons um, uh, attacks in in Syria with the with the German Federal Prosecutor's Office, and um, I th the way that I saw that this was received by my Syrian colleagues and how they um, how they talked about um, the the symbolic value even of just filing these criminal complaints with with a with a with an authority that is seen as 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 competent and and based on the rule of law is for for people um, uh, for people like that that have gone through many many years of um, of of impunity of, uh, of 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 the regime that has been terrorizing them and 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 their and their fellow citizens um, is has was was quite rewarding in you know to an extent and and now we of course the, the struggle continues and we want to we want to see these um, these complaints actually turning into arrest warrants and and uh, and hopefully one day uh, into arrests and trials but um, I think I. You know, if if we are talking about highlights, uh, the, then most recently that was really um, something that that I think stood out. Definitely, it sounds like a real sort of threshold moment, and 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 as you say, that work continues, and that work has really only you know carries on. Mm. Um, so thinking as we about as you have as you have about the highlights, can you also kind of think about people who made a difference to to your career, um, or perhaps possible mentors? Because again, something that I talk to students and young professionals about is finding a mentor or mentors and people who can kind of walk alongside us as we start out on our human rights journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's one person that I have to think of immediately when you, when you say that, and that is my former supervisor at the UN uh, Development Program in Myanmar when I was, um, when I was working with the, with the Rule of Law and Access to Justice uh, um, unit over there in 2012, 2013 was a very exciting period because Myanmar was just uh, reopening uh, for international organizations. Um, they had been shut mm -hmm. out for, for a long time and um, most of them and, 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 and they were coming back and, and uh, reestablishing their presence in, in, in the country. So it was a really, yeah, really very exciting and, and, and but also volatile uh, t 
time and 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 period um and in that in that in that time i i joined this uh, small group that was headed by um by this uh by this dutch lady um who was my supervisor and she was the best supervisor i ever had <laughs> because it's difficult to describe but one thing she did was she treated me as a colleague from the first day um and not as an intern or as uh, some sort of subordinate um but as a colleague took me seriously um you know gave me uh, gave me serious tasks um that were that were that were you know challenging um and also trusted me uh to an extent um which you know i i, I try to you know pay back um by 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 working uh, uh by 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 working well and 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 by uh, by delivering and um i think ever since that experience she has sort of been my role model um of the manager that i want to be now and that, that i want to be in the future uh with with younger colleagues um to to really look at at younger colleagues as yeah as as what they are namely colleagues um and and take them seriously and uh and uh, and you know it's a it's a it's a i think it's a form of empowerment um uh, that uh that yeah many other i think senior uh managers don't don't uh, realize um that they have that capacity to to empower younger colleagues um and it's definitely something i want to I want to do in my in my in my work. Yeah, and no, I think I think that's a really important, valuable point that we you know we should instill that feeling in, in the, the younger group of, of human rights professionals and cadre human rights professionals um, as as we kind of carry on and go on our journey. Yeah. Um, looking at the kind of the flip side of of this human rights work, and it's something that we both, I'm sure, have experienced. That it's a very difficult, stressful, sometimes emotionally and physically exhausting kind of a world to be in. Um, and there's a lot of talk now about self-care um, mm -hmm. within our sector. And I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts about that, given that the listeners are really, you know, starting out. Um, what has been your experience of that and, and what kind of advice and, and skills, uh, sorry, t tools can you offer to, to those mm -hmm. starting out on this issue? Yeah, it's it is it is very interesting. I find it very interesting, uh, uh, not just because I, ha I also have my personal experience w with it, but also just just more generally. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a I think it's a fascinating um, and, and very and very complex um, field. For me, for me, I think for. <laughs> It's a little bit stereotypical, but for for a long while, I did not really think that I was that I had a that that I had a role in this, or that th that this affected me in a in a way that um, that that it was maybe affecting other people, uh, because I wasn't you know I I, I haven't really I haven't really been a direct uh, victim or directly impacted by human rights violations, um, and and so I. Um, for a while, working on you know, especially Syrian crimes that that I that I that I started um, a few years ago when I lived in New York, uh, all you know, it's something that happened slowly. For me, it was that after having worked on 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 issues like that for a while, um, 
I started noticing that I was having bad dreams and um, the bad dreams weren't really directly, you know, symbolic of, uh, let's say, quote unquote, you know, the bad things that I was, that I was working on. Um, in other words, I wasn't dreaming about crimes, war crimes committed in Syria or against Syrians or, or me, you know, as part of that. But I was, I was, I had a recurring dream of an active shooter dream, basically. Um, and I kept, you know, I kept being in this dream where, where an active shooter was, was, um, was, was shooting up the place and it was uh, terrifying. Um, and I did realize though that, uh, it, well, I, I, I came to the conclusion, I don't know if it's true, but I, I, for me, I came to the conclusion that that, you know, that that was a way of, of my psyche sort of working, working through uh, some of this, some of this stuff that, that, that was, that was happening in my work. Plus, I lived in the States at the time and, and active shooters are not um, as uncommon as, as maybe um, over here in Europe. Plus I was working in an office that had been, uh, that had been attacked um, with, uh, with um, I think later turned out fake bombs in the mail. And, and there was like a very heightened level of awareness for these kinds of things that they could happen. So all of that together, I think, led to me having these bad dreams and I started sleeping badly. And I think at that point, when I decided that part of the reason maybe was also the content of my, of my work is when I really started focusing or when I really started being more strict with myself <laughs> on certain things. Namely, I used to, for many years, uh, I would come home from university or from, or from work and, uh, you know, and, 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 and watch documentaries or films or, or read uh, books or, or articles uh, about genocide and war crimes and, um, and, 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 his, and the history of, 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 those, of those things. Um, and of course, that's not a good idea if you've already spent your whole day on, on the same stuff. Um, I, th I, I realized, I learned uh, that for me, it was uh, really good to start using, I think I'm not, you know, I'm not a brain specialist, but I started thinking about it this way that I wanted to find more things and really, and really be strict with myself to then also do these things that trigger different areas in my brain that would sort of equalize my, 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 uh, you know, active brain areas, I guess. Um, and for me, that's sports. Mm -hmm. uh especially sports that have to do with with the ball uh <laughs> anything okay. really uh hockey football uh tennis squash um i can even you know i i'll even have fun playing badminton um or volleyball as long as there's a ball involved i'm 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 a happy guy and i think what it does to me is it uh it really forces me because you're focused on this ball and on the other people running behind the ball and and you know making the right moves through this through space etc it, make, it, it forces me to completely block out anything that I've thought about all day long and will think about again afterwards. Because uh, if you start thinking about, you know, um, your next um, project on, on, on human rights violations while you're, while you're playing football, you're not going to be, you're not going to be very good for your, you're not going to be very good yeah. for your team. <laughs> so I think that really helped me. And, and, and then, um, and then just uh, you know spending time and with friends and talking to friends that 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 uh, that work on on different things that really have no idea uh, what the international covenant on political and civil rights is or 
what the IIIM for Syria does, um, but but really uh, having those very different conversations, I think also is is one of the things that I that I've started um, imposing on myself, you know, more strictly. Plus, I really enjoy those things, so why not, you know, be more strict like that? No, absolutely. I mean, I think really valuable point. I mean, for me, I think it was Zumba that took me out of my my yeah. workspace and just just something absolutely that you know is completely different and and as you say having friends and connections who, who are not who are not in our world um and talking to them about you know non-human rights things can be a great value yeah not sure yeah, um, absolutely so because it, it is a real issue and concern now for, for us as human rights professionals and i want to kind of equip those young people who are thinking about it to, to know that you know to prepare yourself and, and to, to have those strategies in place to cope yeah. Yeah. No, and especially, you know, especially because the, the human rights field is seen as highly competitive and there's not a lot of jobs out there and, and you need to really, as we, as we talked about earlier, you've got to make sure that you stand out and that you do you know, study maybe an additional language or, you know, yeah, that takes, that takes additional effort and, um, and, uh, and, and that will, that will, it will potentially mean additional stress. And so uh, definitely important to, to, to keep in mind that you need to um, balance yourself out um, if you want to, if you want to, if you want to do, uh, if you want to do it in a sustainable way. Yeah, absolutely. So sort of draw, drawing our conversation to a close, just sort of two other things. I mean, final words of advice for, for people who are listening to this. Um, Eva, sort of, you know, hopeful, hopeful words of advice sitting here in the midst of a pandemic and, um, and yeah. the job market continues and, and people are continue to graduate that are looking to, to break into the sector. What, what sort of final words of, of advice can you offer? I think I touched upon it uh, a, a bit earlier. Trying to find something that you're really interested in, sort of like a niche within, within the field, and then really really uh, uh taking initiative and being proactive in in pursuing that and 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 not letting yourself be held back by whatever uh external uh pressure or or fears or 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 anything that that may that may sort of seem as an obstacle but really really taking that initiative and 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 if you have an idea for a project if you have an idea for for a case, if you if you see something happening somewhere uh, where you can, uh, it's hard now with the pandemic. But if you see something happening somewhere in, the, in another part of the world that you wanna that you wanna investigate, <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want to encourage anybody to 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 be a rogue investigator without any without any proper training. But what I mean is, it is you know it is worth a thought to get um, away from behind your computer and going, going into the real world and, and, uh, and, uh, and realizing ideas and, and that you may have for, for projects or for, or for research uh, ideas um, and, and, just, and just doing it. Um, be responsible, obviously, and, and make sure that, you, that you're safe and, uh, and, uh, and that you have the right support. But um, I think, you know, taking the initiative and being proactive is what, what I would um, what I would um, pass along as as a piece of advice if if I if um, asked for that. Absolutely, and and yeah, and and there is so much out there that 
can be done and should be done so that and there's enough sort of issues around the world for people to yeah. kind of get their, their teeth stuck into. Um, so just kind of if people want to find out more about you and your work, you mentioned before about a podcast. It would be great just for you to share with us a little bit about that. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. So, so, so uh, the very first criminal trial against regime officials of the, the Syrian regime is taking place in the city of Koblenz in, in, in Germany, in Western Germany. That's really that's really the very first uh, criminal trial ever in that regard. And, and um, I figured that, uh, you know, that deserves a podcast. <laughs> so so th that's the podcast that I'm, that I'm still currently running. It's called Branch 251. After the prison, after the torture prison, uh, you, sh you know, you should call it um, in Syria that this trial is all about. Um, and in this podcast, that I present together with a Syrian colleague. Um, we, you know, we 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 go through what's happening at the trial and and, and give updates and 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 and, and portraits of, of the defendants and um, and and the NGOs that were involved in bringing the case and the Syrian human rights lawyers that that are bringing evidence to the case. Um, uh, but we also try to interpret uh, the issues uh, for those that are not uh, super well-versed in, 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 the, in the sort of technicalities, especially in the legal technicalities. And we try to de deliver that context and, and, and also uh, go a little bit into the, into the, into, into the history and, 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 and the Syrian context um, more broadly. And um, we're now preparing the second season, which we're hoping to, 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 to broadcast starting in December. Um, and uh, part of what we want to um, what we want to uh, do more is deliver more uh, Arabic language uh, content, Arabic language episodes. We've had um, one sort of long Arabic language episodes, but we want to do much more of that because um, one of the experiences that we had during the first season really is that uh, there are so many Syrians out there and, and other Arabic um, speakers that um, that 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 have a demand for for this kind of information on this kind of trial and on this kind of analysis and interpretation of these of these um uh of these happen of these events at, at that trial um the download numbers for that arabic episode were really <laughs> something else in comparison mm -hmm. to the rest um so so yeah we have uh we have we have uh we have plans and and ideas for for the for the future and that's that's been a really exciting project um I have to say Absolutely. it's called branch 251 you can find us on twitter um also if you just google branch 251 podcast you'll find our our website and you can listen to all the 18 episodes of season one so far i've listened to a couple and they, they are powerful listening definitely really really fritz it's been a great pleasure to talk to you and thank you for your time and thank you for sharing and being so open uh, with us in terms of your own career path it's it's very much appreciated you're welcome. It was a uh, was a pleasure to to join you on this uh, on this uh, channel. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.